Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. When an evil villain <laughs> threatens to take control of the world. In just a few hours, I will control the minds of the children through their own television sets. There is only one group we can turn to. Sorry about that. <laughs> now, it will take a legendary hero. Why don't you pick on somebody half your size? Koruna! My little arch enemy. To unite them and create the ultimate team. We can become our super selves and help the Luna. All right, kids. We're about to have company. Nice spot. A little candy cane for my taste, but then I'm an adult. Team, now. Brain Boy. Play time is over. Baby Courageous. It's my time. Bouncing Boy. I like bouncing. <laughs> Can our brother get some water? Get back to work. And Cupid Girl. Spread the love. Oh! I love you, man. <laughs> this summer. Get them, get them, get them. See ya. We want to be ya. Adventure. Oh! Comes in small packages. Oh! Is she gone? <laughs> Super Babies. Baby Geniuses 2. Hello, welcome along, welcome one and all to this special event audio director's commentary for the film Super Babies, colon, Baby Geniuses 2. My name is Stephen Paul, producer, and I'm joined by my good friend, a ghost, who directed this film and sadly no longer walks along this mortal plane any longer. Would you care to introduce yourself, or shall I do it for you, Ghost? Uh, you can call me Bob, or the Ghost of Bob, if you so choose. I'm Bob Clark, well-respected director. Um, and Stephen, it's a pleasure to be uh, back here with you uh, from beyond the grave. I feel good. I feel alive. Um, I, wish I don't want to rub that. it in. Yeah, yeah, I'll stop saying. I'll stop phrasing it particularly like that. So... Um, Thanks for uh, joining us for this audio commentary. It's been a little while uh, since we've interfaced with the film. In fact, um, this particular picture was brought out in 2004, if I'm not much mistaken. Uh, we shot it in 2002. And uh, things things were, were just starting to heat up for me, personally, uh, in production and really took a tumble in my personal life, uh, which... I probably shouldn't get into no, so early on. Certainly not. But around the release of this film, uh, 
things were not going well for me. Yeah, well, I, I Stephen, as you will recall, I was there for a lot of that, pretty much all of it. And um, uh, as you accurately said, I think that would be uh, ill-advised to bring that up at such an early juncture, um, particularly when we have some very important uh, establishing shots and personalities, dialogue, characters to introduce to our audience. Well, I'd like to introduce our audience one and all to the babies. Um, so we had some real visionaries working on the first uh, Super Babies film. That was just called Baby Geniuses. Baby Geniuses is what we called it. As you it. recall. Yeah, working title was um, Super Babies, which is why we crammed it into the title of this one. And uh, we, we pioneered, pioneered a technique um, which is using computer technology to put talking mouths on little children Yeah, um, to aid with the uh, sort of voice sync, lip syncing. Right. And it actually came about, this technique, uh, from an art student in Paris, France, who developed it in the 1990s, working with what went on to become Pixar. Mm. Um, and it was an art project, uh, an exploration into something in psychology called the Uncanny Valley, which is where you get something that's very close to being human, but far enough apart that it looks terrifying. And we thought, you know what the best use of this technology would be? A family-friendly childish romp featuring prominent supporter campaigner for Trump later on in life John Voigt and Scott Bayo. that's right at the time we didn't know that they would go on to uh, show the political persuasions that they did they were staunch Republican fans obviously and uh, we wanted to create quite a positive and uh, Republican friendly environment on set and uh, we certainly executed that um, also, just I'd like to quickly address, a lot of people criticise the movie for featuring toddlers as opposed to babies. Um, to those people, if you are listening to this and, and watching along with us, um, go fuck yourselves. Toddlers are babies. Yeah, and that's coming from a ghost, so you can you can take that to the bank. Um, now, this is a great action sequence. Um, I probably should have mentioned before, but our stars of the film have already been introduced, uh, or the ones that are above three feet tall, Scott Bayo and Vanessa Angel, uh, who you might remember from Weird Science, the TV series. I do not remember her from Weird Science. I mostly remember her from uh, quite fiery sort of disputes on set throughout the film. Yeah, Vanessa was, uh, in my opinion, a real pro on set a real pleasure to work with real joy but uh, also a registered Democrat so Mm. don't lie on your CV um, because it might make for a pretty difficult two months in the office so we decided we wanted to you've got to start the movie on on where we are you've got to give people context so we start at the daycare centre if that's what we're calling this facility but then we briefly we wanted to, as soon as we've established that this is about babies and it's about where they live and shit and breathe together, we want to get out of there. We want to set it up, throw it away. Yeah. Look at this. Now, don't look at this anymore. So we've gone straight into a flashback um, from mid-1960s East yeah, and Germany. People often ask me, how, uh, you know, when I'm when I'm directing a movie, and, well, you develop the story for this, so you'd, you'd be able to speak to this as well. I mean... They say, how do, you, how do you jump so quickly from one place to another? And the answer is simply, you just do it. You don't need to give the audience that much connective tissue. What All people, you need is a character to say, That's right. Um, I'm going to tell you a story. Suddenly, you're in the world of the story. What a lot of people don't realize as well is that during the editing process, um, the rules are yours to determine. So if you want to simply put a shot of 
1962 East Germany and a six-year-old boy kicking the ass of some presumably Stasi-associated police officers in a family-friendly movie just after you've introduced a film taking place in modern-day 2004 uh, child's care facility. That's fine. It's your right as a filmmaker, as an artist, and I'll be damned if you prime my rights to make the film I want to make because you think that you've got some fiat authority over me installed by a fake government some so-called critics uh didn't take to this film they found it convoluted and confusing no real clear purpose or intended demographic they say you need to make a movie for someone i say why not try and make a movie for everyone and i think that's something that that you'll all look forward to enjoying with us on this um on this audio track uh, we truly, we truly did pull that off. Because I mean, I think the marketing. Unless team, you're a registered Democrat, in which case you'd probably be better off going and walking into the ocean. Well, that's true. Although, I think um, the studio, much to my behest, and my good friend Bob the Ghost here, who directed the picture, we tried our hardest to make the best Republican-friendly film we can, and I, I just I feel like a little bit of that control got wrestled out of our hands by the studio, who thought that cutting out 50% of the movie-going audience wasn't a smart move. But um, to your point, Bob the Ghost, who directed this picture, you know, oh, there's your name coming up there, directed by Bob Clark. Does it give you a little pang in the area that used it's to be your heart? A nostalgia kick has taken hold of me uh, in seeing that. Uh I got to write all of the cast and crew names out. That's the font that they used for the opening credits. The font is you handwriting them. Yeah. Good fact. That's what audio commentaries are all about. Thank you, Bob. It's my pleasure. And also, we originally had um, John Voigt sucking a lollipop and uh, uh, young Harry Kahuna smoking a cigarette. Yeah. But classic studio. I say the world's not ready. Now, we've thrown around a lot of names already. Um, let's take you through a brief... Uh, sort of overlook of what we're dealing with here the universe that me and my good friend bob have created in this cinematic franchise of baby geniuses is a world where children who have not yet uh adapted the full ability of speech the ability to communicate with adults they have their own baby language, similar to the Nickelodeon series Rugrats. Some people say uh, heavily influenced by that. Those people are wrong. I say go fuck yourself. Yeah, we haven't seen Rugrats. Don't even know it exists, actually. I haven't even heard of the TV show Rugrats. Only from those so-called critics who called us out on it. So we take that world and then we add um, John Voight to it. And then we add a Hero. German accent to John Voight. We do. And then we instruct John Voight, who is the film's antagonist in the sequel to the original uh we say hey dude here's the character archetype we're looking for imagine a german nazi who's still around in 1962 and he's running a science facility with uh hapless lackeys that he gets to order and boss around that's what we're that's the tone that we're looking for in this family romp and i think the the scariest part about that is john voigt um he really took that instruction to heart and he channeled uh during the during the filming he channeled the spirit of well not the spirit per se but certainly the energy of a, a, a quite an infamous um nazi doctor and he would only respond to the name of the doctor uh, he wouldn't respond to john he wouldn't respond to voidy voidy boy which is of course well, what we called him during casting well yeah voidy uh, boy 
Vordy Boy was, was a naughty boy, eh? Yeah, well, he was. And it was, I mean, on one hand, I, I really respected him for fostering quite a hostile and powerful political environment on set. But on the other hand, it did make for some pretty full-on interactions with some of the other performers. Mm. Um, the, the Nazi doctor, for those of you who are curious, uh, who he was sort of uh, channeling was Dr. Joseph Mengel. Um, and he's on the record as saying that. So it's a true fact. He's a good actor. He's a talented um, artist and a thespian who isn't afraid to bring a war criminal as his inspiration into a movie aimed at little kids and their parents. Well, and the, that's where I respect about the Woody kids Boy. didn't need to know. Vanessa Angel, she did know, uh, and and that was probably the I'd say that was the first sign that we were get we were on for on for a fractured set, a fractured filming experience was. Um, she, unsurprisingly, and also sort of to her credit, was very uncomfortable with the idea that John Voigt would be in character as a Nazi doctor for the entirety of the film. Well, look, in the original script of this film, we didn't have um, any female characters whatsoever, and that suited me, personally, down to a T. Bob, you had um, some qualms with it, but the studio, they almost blew their fucking top off when we yeah. delivered the script to them uh, for, the, for the sequel to the runaway success of Baby Geniuses. Well, that's right. Uh, certainly at the box office we, we made a mint on that one um, again some so called critics didn't quite seem to understand what we were going for and, that, and that's their loss because we had a good time that was a really good time actually we had an entirely different uh, cast a lot of them said that they, they were happy they felt they'd done their time in the baby geniuses universe didn't need to come back um, and that's why you, you see the, the, the B team that we've rolled out for you here instead should we introduce our characters, the babies themselves? Yeah, we, we should. Um, so these four are sort of not necessarily the heroes, but potentially the pr- protagonists in this film. Um, and it's quite difficult to get on board with them just insofar as their acting performance is very much limited by their age. And the whole film, we just let them run free, really. We just put cameras on them for several weeks. Yeah. We didn't tell the parents. And uh, afterwards... And can I... Sorry to stop you there, Ghost of Bob Clark, director of Baby Geniuses 2, Super Babies. But I th- I just can't stress um, how important that is in filmmaking to not tell the parents if you're going to film a baby. Because it, what it's going to do is that they're going to, through their psychic connection to their child, inform the child's performance. And you're not going to get the raw, unfettered human emotion that you're wanting to yeah. capture in celluloid. Yeah. Absolutely. And beyond even working in professional film, I think if you want footage of a child, it's often much easier to get it without asking the parents. Well, that's, that's God's honest truth. Yeah. That's how you make a film. You know, people say, "Oh, how how are we going to convince them that um, they should entrust us with John Voight, who, during the duration of filming, appears to have been inspired and constantly in role as a Nazi war criminal who specialised in experimenting out, on he, kids." He couldn't get out of the character. No, he couldn't. Um, and the, the the answer to that is just don't seek permission. I always say seek forgiveness rather than permission, yeah. and that's that's a good rule it's, it's in easy, industry and in movie making. It's easier to ask for forgiveness than permission, and we didn't either. Oh, God. Here comes our second female character in the film who's above, you know, oh, talking age. We even had to give her a special uh, mention on the 
on the credits is introducing because this is her first time acting. She'd never acted before and I think that became pretty clear throughout the process. She she didn't handle a lot of the improvising uh, scenes or a lot of the offers that I was throwing at her. Uh, what do you expect with that tiny female brain? She was probably just trying to not get pregnant every moment that she was on set. Well, easy. Easy, Stephen. But yes, I couldn't agree more. Absolutely. Uh, you know what I am proud of, though? Uh, probably most proud of as a result of this production is bringing together the two minds of John Voight and Scott Bayo, And just getting to hear them riff. <laughs> getting, getting to hear those guys in a room was a real special treat. Very interesting world views from yeah. those two gentlemen. Um, of course, this was back in the Trump years, so they were really at the top of their game. Everything was going great for them. Yeah. Um, and it, it, wasn't, uh, it wasn't until I caught up with Voighty Boy recently... Just uh, still in touch with... Off and on. We communicate by SMS text message now, but I did have lunch with him last year uh, when it looked like Hillary Clinton was going to clinch it. And um, interestingly, he had his own custom-made pistol produced by Smith & Weston um, for uh, January 20th for the inauguration because he thought Hillary Clinton was um, going to become president. And when it sort of transpired that uh, actually she was going to lose, he, he gave it back to them. So he didn't need it anymore. That sounds both true and terrifying. Mm. So um, this is the first good look at Big Kahuna, um, our film's hero. That's right. He was actually played by uh, three triplets. Um, in a lab coat. Yeah. Standing atop and each other's shoulders. On the first day he was, and then what we realised was... Um, that's not going to work at all. So instead, we just we'd use one at a time and just change them, mm. change them out willy nilly. But uh, certainly, in my experience, if you if you can if you can get one actor to perform one role, that's going to make life a lot easier than if you get um, multiple children playing one role. It's very confusing. You don't know their names. Arguably, we don't know any of these kids' names in a way. Well, if by arguably you mean definitely, <laughs> yeah. Uh, then yeah, absolutely, you couldn't be more right. I didn't learn any of them on principle. Um, I'm an adult, and accordingly, I like to engage with adults. Mm. Why would I be involved with a film called Baby Geniuses 2 then? It's a question I ask myself to this day. I think the stress of the job might be what drove me to an early grave. I actually think your visible disdain for uh, humans under the age of three kind of comes across in the film as well, if I, if I can just mention that. And I mean that absolutely complimentarily. Yeah, in the nicest possible way. I know 100%. That. You don't need to qualify your compliments with me. We're old friends, Stephen. I mean, you uh, helped secure this job for me. You developed the story. You were my manager at the time. You said, I got a good one. I, I uh, actually lost a bet with John Voigt, um, is how the original coming together of the soul operation went. We were out drinking. Yeah. Because um, you, ma- you, you managed John as well. That's correct. You He's one few, of my clients. A few great actors on your books. Gene Wilder. He's one of yours. R.I.P. A great man. Great, great man. Great actor. Miss him dearly. He's not fitting in very well in the afterlife, I can tell you that. Really? No, he's much better suited to being alive. Oh. <laughs> well, I couldn't agree more. We all miss him here. I wish I wish that he was here. In fact, I wish I could swap the two of you around, if I'm being honest, Ghost of Bob, but we won't get too much into that. Party problem. 
Um, we're doing a lot of experimenting in this film with technology. Uh, the internet was a it's brand new thing in 2004. So People difficult. Didn't understand how when it worked. Technology's moving so quickly, and you want a movie to be cutting edge, you have to put as much of it in as possible. Yeah. Uh, and what we didn't realize, you know, 13 years ago when we made this movie is that technology would continue developing faster than we could possibly keep up and it's really date stamped a lot of the stuff and I feel like the reason that a lot of the reviews that the movie got when it came out were negative mm. was because people would anticipate that 10 years from now it would be dated and it's pretty, it's inter- pretty mean-spirited. Pretty interesting, though, that we did decide to roll with the um, scene that was in the script of babies essentially Googling the villain, um, finding out about his history, finding out about his his you know his past achievements and they actually stumble across into um what i guess was proto fake news it was a a pop-up window with um the villain of the film who we don't necessarily know is a villain yet uh with devil horns asking for money 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 give me money 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 and it says um words to the effect of business leader or a corporate devil yeah question mark and it's got john voight's face on there as satan but so the babies have um, broken into it was actually the great. office. We, we just we could just use John Voigt's actual website for that. We didn't even need our art department to mock up a fake one. No, that's right. He engages on his MySpace page in a long-running art project where he reimagines himself through uh, those he respects. So there are a depiction of him as Satan. Um, there is a depiction of him as Margaret Thatcher. Uh, I've seen a version of John Voigt painted by himself in watercolour of his face on the body of none other than Leonardo da Vinci. Wow. He's a real hero of John Voigt. Da Vinci fan. Huge da Vinci. He's actually not a fan of da Vinci. He's a fan of Dan Brown, uh, who wrote the da Vinci Code. I see. So it's just a little nod to that great novel. It worked, it worked backwards. Yeah, exactly. Now, you can see the special effects in this part of the film. Working are, hard. Yeah, working very hard. Now, Big Kahuna, who is a confusing character at this juncture in the film, is a seven-year-old who turns and up on the scene early. To and our credit, a confusing character throughout. Yeah. It isn't... Um, really fleshed out till much much later even what he's sort of up to but he basically comes in and kicks the ass of a lot of adults just after we've had his origin story recounted from one of the children who's just sort of heard it on the street um which relates to a story of john voigt's character in 1962 or so um encountering big kahuna The, the the strangest thing is kahuna is the same age seven years old in 62 and in the present time John Voigt is visibly younger and it, it doesn't get explained for a very long time we keep people really on the hook of how that is it's case. always with filmmaking it's always uh, an interesting and difficult decision to make in terms of how slowly or quickly do you reveal the information I mean at what speed do you sort of uh, give the audience you know the, the vital pieces of info that are going to help them put together the story you want to be one step ahead or do you want the audience to be one step ahead Bob let's talk about you for a second um, let's get into what you're up to these days your voice seems slightly strained if I'm being honest not a great day to get you in the booth um, <laughs> how much partying is going on in the afterlife for you and it who are you hanging out with who are you mixing with relentless and I am exhausted you look beat yeah, you look so, white as a sheet. Well, that is uh, on account of my ghostly facade. So mm. it doesn't matter whether I've been partying or working out. I'm I'm always going to look white as a sheet. Mm. Okay, you familiar with ghosts? You've seen ghosts before? Ah, uh, yeah. Yeah. So I don't know why you'd be surprised by this. This is what I look like now. Gotcha. Thank you. 
Uh, it's called a ghostly thing? apparition, Tim. Mm. Not a, not a. Yeah, I read you loud and clear. Yeah, okay, good buddy. Ten four on that. And I apologise for calling you uh, the wrong name there, Stephen. I don't know where that came from. Uh, secondly, I have been pretty much on the Terps since 2007 when I was tragically uh, shuffled off this mortal coil a little early. Uh, you still anyone who baby. rolls through? I yeah. work at the uh, the welcome gate into the afterlife. Oh, really? So yeah, and right alongside St Peter. There, it's, it's my job. Uh, well, no, I I don't really uh, meddle with heaven and hell. So. To, before you can access either heaven or hell, you have to pass through a portal to the afterlife. And that's where I just park up with a bottle of Jose Cuervo. Right. So welcome along. You're so dead sort now. of in limbo before yeah. the final Knock one of these place. back. Take a load off. So have you just been hanging out in limbo the whole time? Yep. Wow. Yeah, Gene Wilder, is, yep. uh, he's also been trapped in limbo. Right. That's so that's interesting. That's why he hasn't been fitting in very well because he, he has yet to make it. Right, and is it vastly sort of populated? Is it? Um, is there a lot of people there? Just in me and Gene. That's it. And uh, anyone who's coming through, obviously, they, they, and, and there's a lot of guests. There's a lot of house guests. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's it's relentless. You got a house band there in Limbo? No, no band as such. Uh, I do have a saxophone, which I died holding. So nice. I, I, I've been trying to learn how to blow. Hey, well, um, let's just hope that Bill Clinton's not too far away, eh? Because I mean, if anyone can blow a sax. It's, um, I'm sure that he and Gene would get on famously as well. Very interesting. It uh, depends sort of the form you are in uh, when you die, mm. how you remain in the afterlife. Oh, uh, that's, and there, um, there, you can I was going to ask about that. That's very depressing yeah, to hear. You can acquire uh, sort of different um, precious stones that you can trade for a more youthful facade that's in good. the afterlife. So how that's does, quite good. How does one obtain the uh, stones? Uh, you got to know the caves to go to, and you got to have uh, crampons and a pickaxe. Interesting. It almost sounds like some sort of um, Super Nintendo RPG is is what Limbo's been based on. Rolling around, finding mystical stones to exchange for a more youthful appearance in the afterlife. I certainly didn't build Limbo, so if you are trying to maybe direct some thinly veiled criticism at me, no I would critique suggest... whatsoever, just an observation, Bob, and uh, I know that you're a little bit sensitive and cranky at the moment on, on account of all the Jose Cuervo you've been consuming there, but I'd just ask you to step the fuck off for a second, okay? We're in this you together. started this line of conversation with me, so I don't understand why suddenly I'm being the one who's hostile when it's you who's telling me to step the fuck off. So we made I'm a, just responding to a question that you asked me. We made a decision at this uh, at this point in the film to introduce a few black panel vans. Um, Without any real, explanation or tie into other plot points. No. I just thought it was important that while we had uh, babies rocking around, you want to remind everyone that there's a real element of danger in modern day America. And only a few people are going to be able to rescue us from this democratic hellhole. Um that we've been living in. That's right. The other thing... I, I mean, I was referring to, to the Clinton years when I was writing the film. Not a lot of people know that because I, I did it under a pen name. God, Kahuna. Such a... Such a... <laughs> such a bold character choice, wasn't it? We've got him clad in leather. Little <laughs> seven-year-old. Um, he drinks a formula which he developed himself which interacts with his unique physiology which uh, similar to Popeye instantly makes him strong Popeye is who he based Jesus you are not holding up well that transformation I'm holding up just fine thank you 
Bob, you're a, yawning into the microphone mid-thought. Look, I'm just going to have a little nip of some Jose Cuervo and I'll be uh, right as rain. Okay, you do that. <coughs> yeah. This, oh, that's the good stuff. Now this one, I mean, this moment was really for the kids. This is Kahuna taking on the adults um, who are all in cleaners' uniforms. We never quite explained why that was the case in the text we of the just film. didn't have time we were on a very tight turnaround we filmed the movie in less than two weeks and as you can see we had a wide array of extras a wide array of sets a wide array of ideas to get in and so once we took a scene once we said perfect that's it let's move on and i'm going to be honest with you right now Stephen. i uh was so proud of what we achieved and accomplished that i I haven't watched uh, an edit or the finished version of this film since we did it. Good God. And seeing now, it, I never quite understood that insert. Why is that in there? Kahuna has the unique ability to talk baby but also communicate to the adults. He's sort of a Rosetta Stone of sorts betwixt the two um, sets of people who can communicate in the film. Babies can communicate to babies but not to adults. Same with adults. But Big Kahuna can communicate to both. And then randomly, for one brief moment, he speaks in an indecipherable language, which doesn't appear to be a real human language at all, and is subtitled. Yeah. Don't send a man to do a boy's job or something like that. There's good reason for that. Get people talking. I mean, even now. Can you imagine 13 years later, that was such a bold directorial decision that even now people are confused by it, they're talking about it, they're getting the word out there. This is how marketing works. Do you know what I love? The fact that this film affected people so much, um, I will add, not en masse, because we did lose a tremendous amount of money making the thing when we put it out. (laughs) But this affected people so much that they voted in their droves for us to get back into this booth, both alive and dead, and record an audio commentary for the Blu-ray special edition. That is madness to me as well, isn't it? That they would insist upon me crossing over the mortal plane to revisit Earth as an almost fully realized sentient being and revisit my 2004 masterpiece. Now we're in the lair of John Voigt. Uh, Kane is his character's name, if memory serves. A lot of stained glass windows, and that was... um, under my direction to the art department to try and have shades of Rasputin about the character. A lot of references to uh, Russia and East Germany in this film, which I thought was important in a family uh, kitsch movie. Because it's important to remind people that things are happening out there. The world's a complicated and dangerous place. And we need strong leaders to bring us back from the brink and show other countries what we're made of. That's right. Uh, intimidation is the best form of defense. And I think um, to try and see that idea, I mean, there's almost a delicious irony, isn't there? And that uh, through the film, we were trying to see that idea that um, we are brave. We're a brave country, not to be trifled with. Um, but the way of doing that within the film was, I mean, the, the, the message of the film is contrarian. And that we've got John Voigt's character trying to do the same thing, trying to mind control people and intimidate them. Oh, yeah, sorry. Did we not mention that before? Our villain in this movie is trying to, for some reason, mind control all the children of the world. We don't want to get too far into why that's the case. Because we didn't in the film. It's not really filled in. 
but he's going to do it by starting a children's show television network and then transmitting a subconscious message alongside the main programming which will infect the brains of the babies watching sounds like a good plan to me sounds like a good plot to me even hearing it back i get as excited by that today as i did the day you told me uh and I remember you saying, I've got an idea. It's, I've got to do a bit of work on it. I don't know if it's quite ready. Uh, Generally speaking, in the past, when I've approached your office and said, I've got an idea, it's made you very nervous. But I think with this one, uh, you were wrong. You were wrong to be apprehensive. But I was excited. Why were you screaming? Cause that's how excitement registers for me. I was so excited. You said, I've got to put a little more time and I've got to get this thing finished. I don't know if it's quite ready. It's still in the gestation period. I said, gestation, smestation. You did say that. Get off my PlayStation. You were standing on it at the time. I was furious. I just yeah. spent what remaining savings I had on it. It was and a PS2 as well. It was yeah. And those were retailing for about six nine nine back then. It's huge. Very chunky price. Very chunky console, actually. I mean, I see what the kids are playing now, and I'm so jealous. You die, and the only gaming console you're allowed to play in limbo is the console that you most recently owned. Which for you? It was a PS2. And upsettingly a broken PS2. I mean, we lost so much money on this movie and never got it fixed, never bought a new console. Broken in what way? Like, is it inoperable? Uh, No, what happens is you can often get a game up. So I like to play sports games. You can get a game of Madden up, for instance, Mm -hmm. and you play through the first quarter and then halfway through the second quarter, uh, you just get a shot of the stadium and the field's empty. Doesn't load. you can't... Pushed. You can't start. You can't get to the menu. You can't exit the game. You got a Tony Tony Hawk's disc there? No, I've just got Madden. Just got Madden. It's a real shame. Now, um, at this point in the movie, look, we're throwing caution to the wind, and we're introducing um, scandally written characters. By which I mean, um, we don't know what the fuck's going on anymore. You know what I mean, Bob? I mean, look, we can try and sugarcoat this and you may hear some hesitation with us doing this audio commentary and there's a very good reason for it. We didn't know what this movie was when it got written. I didn't know what it was when I saw the final cut. I certainly didn't know what we were making at the time. And I got to tell you something, I don't know what I'm watching now on this (laughs) monitor screen. I've got a very quiet version of the sound of it playing in my ear I did a little preemptive watch of the movie to bring me back up to speed just the other day and um, getting up to speed with coming into here to, to lay this track down. I don't know what the fuck we were thinking. I don't know how this thing got out into the world. And it's no surprise to me whatsoever that it lost a lot of money. I mean, where are we? We're in some poor man's version of Willy Wonka's Chocolate Factory right now, but it looks like it was done with set dresses who brought $200 to Kmart and tried to replicate it as best they can. We're in some terrible plastic boat that's on very shallow water that's got half a dozen small children on it. I mean, if any feeling's supposed to be elicited by this shot, it's just concern for the welfare of these young professional actors. Where are the adults? Where are the people looking after these kids? Well, when you try and make a film for everyone, you have to take some risks. And one of the risks we took is, as opposed to presenting a cohesive whole that everyone could enjoy, we tried to capture moments or snippets within the film that one person would enjoy at one time. And so that's why it's a slightly fractured film. That's why it's uh, a challenge for as you say people to sort of follow along with the plot or enjoy it in its entirety i mean what are we doing now we're in we're in the 
the hidden bunker of Kahuna, a seven-year-old who's both mysterious and heavily violent, who keeps drinking this incandescent formula that makes him strong and give him the ability to beat the shit out of fully grown adults, which is kind of a creepy concept to reckon with anyway. And his pad is just filled with holograms interacting with these toddlers that have come in. Yeah. I mean, what, what are we all doing here, you know? Just padding for time, really. Uh, movies need to run at, for a studio release, over 70 minutes. And what we had in terms of plot was good for about 10. So I'm not going to tell you... the turn of phrase, trying to fit 50 pounds of shit in a five-ounce bag. This was the opposite problem. It was a bag capable of holding 50 pounds of shit and in actual fact we needed to convince the studio that's what was in the bag and we only had five pounds of shit yeah it's tricky because you've got to water down the shit and no one wants to water down their own shit it's embarrassing and it's disgusting it makes it tricky to deal with it's very easy to clean up shit that's not wet but the wetter it gets the harder it gets to remove you know well you've got to sort of soak it up at that point don't you so here, we didn't actually want to incorporate these uh, characters and characterizations of the toddlers or babies. No, this was Mattel. Uh, but yeah, they wanted a, a merchandise range. They wanted to try and figure out some sort of way to make up uh, the money that they knew we were already losing. And also, um, they thought it would make it for a good trailer if we put these kids in, into costumes. Uh, and so we sort of just went with the first ideas we have for them. So just explain what's happened. We've got the... We've got four hero babies. Um, Cupid girl. No, no, well, hold, hold on for a second. They're in a kind of transformation machine that Kahuna's made because he's a master inventor um, in addition to being a master of the martial arts. And they all go into this machine which is supposed to... I, I believe the original concept behind it is it sort of maximizes their inner potential. It reveals your true self, your truest self. And uh, these four lead characters... They all have four very distinct and unique personality traits that are revealed to them. We've got a brainy baby. Mm. We've got Captain Courageous. Mm. We've got Cupid Girl. Mm. And then uh, we've got Bouncy Boy. Yeah. Who I feel like bounciness is less a personality or character trait and more just something, uh, you know, well, we thought visually fun. fun. Yeah. Fun to watch on film. And there's nothing wrong with that. So at this point, we thought we'd done something for the kids. We'd done something for people who wanted generic character traits. What do we need? We need something for the teens. We need something that's going to get those 13-year-old chubs up. We're going to need something that's going to give uh, pretty much anyone between the 11 and 16-year-old age range a nice hearty boner. And to do that, we introduced the fact that this teenager who's been playing the role of babysitter also is in the throes of a sexual awakening. Now... Who is the conduit or the uh, physical manifestation of the boner? It's a young man named Zach who we found just wandering around on the fringes of the set. He was wearing a rugby jersey. He was actually wearing exactly what you see him in now. And this is five minutes after we met the kid. Uh, We didn't tell him we were filming. We told him that we wanted to set him up on a date with a girl. And so all of the romantic interactions, all the personal interactions between these two, for him, they are real for I believe her name was Skylar who we were introducing Uh, she's just acting she's improvising a scene with a real person who doesn't realise he's acting the unfortunate consequence of this is they went on to have a one-sided marriage and bring up some kids together Skylar thought she was still contracted by the studio to maintain the role and of course um, our man in the rugby shirt he was none the wiser he didn't realise that it was all uh, a make-believe world and a facade so 
As far as I know, they are still married. Um, she's still cashing checks from the studio. Uh, payroll hasn't quite picked up yet that the film should have wrapped him. Really, th- that account should be closed now. But <laughs> that's you know, part on, of the reason why we, we lost so much money. Mm. That is the reason this lost so much money. It was actually very successful at the cinema. Terrible accountants. Bad, now, um, to this bad day, I have no idea who this band is and why we thought it would be cool or culturally relevant to get them involved. Well, from memory, I I don't think it's a real band, is it? It's, we tried to assemble a bunch of dudes who sort of resembled NSYNC, but we put them on screen for too long, so you're able to figure out that it, it really isn't NSYNC at all. It's just a bunch of dudes. Well, I will say this, and uh, this is something I've always said and stand behind. If you can get five dudes in a room... One of whom has dreadlocks, the other one a bandana. Mm. You're going to get a teenage boner. And we were really chasing that market with this part of the film, these moments. Um, in fact, I remember the good in the rugby jersey, Zach. He uh, he chubbed up something chronic when they were shooting this scene. Um, it seems crazy to me that in a movie about babies, you were paying so much attention to getting everyone... <laughs> Chubbed up. It's a movie about babies, but it's also a movie for everyone. I don't know how many times I have to tell you this. And, you know. You're trying to hit the four quadrants. Not everyone's a baby. It's true. Now, um, now so we were chasing that sweet, sweet uh, LAPD, NYPD money, so we just threw some cops in the film. Yeah, we did. We wanted to get the blue dollar coming in to see the film. Um, blue tickets matter. And. They came in their drives. The police unions across the country encouraged all of their members to come and see this film, which was um, fantastic. Scott Bay was intimately involved in getting the word out with them, um, mainly because he's been arrested so many times for different things that uh, he knows a lot of the different police On unions a first across name the country. Basis. And they do not respect him in the way he seems to think they do. The no. guy is deluded. Uh, they keep putting him into a jail cell and mocking him, calling him Charchi and Charles. Is it not so in charge now, are you, Charles? Now I'm in charge, and they jangle the uh, jail keys at him. But he always gets out eventually because his his dad's a judge. Truly? Yeah. Yeah, if memory serves. Oh, God. He's an interesting figure, isn't he, that Scott? Bayo. He sure is. And what prescience? Who else saw Trump's victory coming as clearly and as early as Scott Bayo? Who's laughing now? Because it sure ain't me, Bob. And it sure ain't you living in limbo watching us all from... How does that work? Are you sort of above us or below us or do you sort of exist I'm adjacent same? mostly. Adjacent, right. So You're sort of across the road from Have Earth. you heard of the flat Earth theory? <laughs> yeah, I've heard of it. This is the theory that um, scientists and so-called experts have been lying to us for millennia and that we actually exist on a flat plane rather than a spherical planet? That's not a theory. Oh. That's the way it is. And limbo exists at the end of one part of the Earth. Why? Is that so? Yeah. It's just a little sort of bubble or room, and that's where you pass through uh, on your way to either heaven or hell. So it's sort of, I'm on the same plane as you insofar as physically, the, 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 the plane, the gradient, the, uh, the altitude is all the same. Mm. Um, but you're just over there. Yeah. Amazing. Now, we did run out of money for special effects at this point, so we've got John Voigt and his lackey going down a slide, and what we thought we'd do is just get him to stand up in a perspex tube and shine lights on them and sort of jiggle the lights around uh, and get them to scream and put their arms up so it looked like they were going down a slide. And I tell you what, pat on the back to us, 
through that methodology of filmmaking, we saved ourselves at least a couple of grand. And I, I think until you mentioned it just then in this very special release director's commentary, mm. no one would have known that we cut a corner there. No, you would never know. You'd never be able to tell. Uh, For this, this is part another of the movie, great special yeah. effect. We just put some uh, nylon string on a cushion and we got... Um, you might want to ex- explain to people who's maybe their TVs have broken or something while they're watching oh, this. So pretty much we've got the big kahuna uh, sort of to show his prescience and just the fact that he operates on a slightly different plane of existence. We've got him um, levitating on a, on a plush purple acrylic cushion and... Um, and to to create that effect, we just put some nylon string on the cushion and hooked it up to the roof. And we were cutting corners on the string as well. We didn't originally use enough to support the cushion. Uh, it dropped down and we did lose one of our big kahunas. Thankfully, and this was one of the few times it came to the fore, having two identical triplets or twins at this point, uh, it made a world of difference. We got away with it completely. I mean, the parents found out, but the cinema going public, that's a secret to them. None the wiser. Can't recommend that enough. Make sure that you've got spears um, for each of your actors. Unfortunately, we didn't have any spear John Voights. Um, and there were a couple of days where he just went missing, where he was due on set. Uh, when he came back, he had the strangest scars on his face. But our makeup department worked very hard to get rid of those. A couple of the PAs asked him about it and where he had been. Um, he was very cagey about it, but people did notice that he was holding his passport at the time. So... A little bit of international travel. He is a, a real globetrotter. We know this about John Voigt. Yeah, we... Um, and we're, we're back now with um, our teenage bonus, yeah. Zach, playing with a little mini basketball there while explaining the origin story of how Kahuna came to be. This was a very special day. Um, we didn't originally explain whatsoever in the script of this film how a seven-year-old boy was endowed with all of these powers and had an ability to gather children around him like a Moses kind of a character and lead them to freedom, um, possessing incredible strength seemingly from a divine intervention, mm. uh, having these fabulous contraptions that he had invented, mm. constructing his own underground lair, mm. traveling around the world, having relationships with uh, Whippy Goldberg, mm-hmm. a band that sort of looks like NSYNC. So we were never going to explain that. We were going to leave it up to the viewer to make, project their own backstory on him. But then the studio said... You boys, it's it's a mite too confusing, I think, for our cinema-going public. The cops don't want to be doing their detective work while they're off the beat. That's what they do during their daytime. So we're going to need to fill in a few more of the blanks for them. Um, so that's, that explains this lengthy yeah. sequence of the film. We, I think, I don't know if we overestimated the intelligence and uh, sort of ability to put the pieces together of our audience but certainly the studio have very little respect for anyone who buys a ticket to a movie uh, and so they have to handhold and make sure that everyone's along for the journey the whole way uh, we still tried to scatter everyone's brains uh, occasionally throughout the film and I, I like to think we have certainly executed that in parts but I mean can I just say in re-watching this, I remembered it completely differently. How do you recall the origin story happening before we get into the real version? Uh, not the origin story, the whole film. Oh, I see. When I think back on this film, what I remembered directing was uh, a movie about a man named Andy Dufresne who was wrongfully imprisoned for a crime he didn't commit. Uh-huh. Uh, he befriended uh, a sort of a 
a senior figure within the prison, uh, someone who commanded a bit of respect, knew the lay of the land, um, and he used his accounting know-how to form a relationship with the prison warden. Uh, and they sort of built a connection. It wasn't a healthy relationship, but certainly it helped uh, ease some of the pressure of adapting to the new hostile environment that prison was to be. Um, and eventually, I mean, I mean, I don't know if it's a spoiler because this is not the movie I remember making, but uh, Andy Dufresne digs a hole. He digs a hole out of prison, climbs through a sewer, and he uh, runs away to a beach. And I'm just wondering at what point in the film these elements are going to come into play because what I'm seeing so far could not be more different. As we're taking through the version of the origin story that made it to cinema release, it's revealed that Kahuna is, um, spoiler alert, actually the youngest sibling of John Voight's character, Kane. Uh, they were both brought up under the stewardship of their father, who was a scientist developing a serum to unlock the human potential in all babies. He locked it away in his safe. Uh, at some point, John Voight's character, the older brother, got very curious. He took it out. Some confusing um, ge- geolocation elements to this. They're being brought up in East Germany, I believe, in the mm. 50s and 60s, but the dad is American. Kahuna has an American accent when we see him. John Voigt's character has retained his heritage uh, through his particular dialect. So anyway, his father's dying. He's a scientist. Uh, so his, his brother gets a hold of the formula, but um, a window smashes just at the moment where he's going to drink it for himself, and he throws it um, up in the air. It crashes onto a laboratory table, and Kahuna uh, has a few of those tasty radioactive green drops and it changes him forever trapping him in the body of a seven-year-old while his powers continue to grow and his consciousness grows he has the mentality of someone much older than seven which uh would make for very interesting sort of frozen adulthood we did pitch a couple of sequels to this film which explored the interpersonal relationships of what it's like for a 70 year old man to attempt to find love inside of a retirement home when he's trapped inside the body of an eight-year-old. Yeah, and a lot of those conversations were looking pretty promising until we got the numbers back on this one. Um, and, yeah. Scuttled is the verb well, I would use. Or shelved, more accurately, um, because we could grab them back up off that shelf. One idea which I was particularly fond of uh, explored the notion of Kahuna going back to Hawaii where he got his name from and becoming a surf champion for an under 15 grade competition and then it subsequently being found out through his birth certificate that he was in fact 85 years old and uh, the goofs really just write themselves they, in, that, they, in that picture <laughs> they sure do you uh, can see it can't you I'm a 7 year old on a surfboard being told that he can't compete because he's actually 85 yeah. that's funny stuff I'm not sure if you can tell in my tone of voice but that's very funny stuff yeah, that, that is that is funny stuff and can i just say apropos of nothing to you Stephen, that i guess some birds ain't meant to be caged quite an odd thing to throw at me so we're finally out of the sequence explaining um kahuna and john voight characters backstories and um, we're back to the teenage bonus briefly, and guess what, everyone? I forgot for a second, but we are inside the hills of Hollywood, just underneath the sign. 
It turns out that Kahuna's lair has been hiding in plain sight from the authorities. And now we introduce a karate element because in 2004, martial arts very popular. The Matrix had come out five years prior. Everyone was hugely enamored with the um, infusion of uh, martial arts martial arts into the American cinema landscape once again. You know, we sort of we had the original wave of that. We had your Bruce Lee films. We had your um, Bruce Lee. Yeah. Yes, I love that dude. Yeah. Yes. You're a Jackie Chan fan? Do you like the tuxedo? I yeah. worked on that film. I produced I, that. I love Jackie Chan. Did you ever see the tuxedo? Jennifer no, Love no. Hewitt? Very good film. What it was, Bob, was a film where Jackie Chan was just an average schmo, a nobody. I don't believe it for a second. Jackie Chan is one of our finest actors and... No, no, this was the character he was okay. portraying because he's so talented and then he got this... So in the movie, you had to convince Jackie Chan to act like a normal person in spite of the fact that he's Jackie Chan. Yeah. That must have been a hell of a challenge. Well, he's a hell of an actor. You've seen him work. He's amazing. Kid can do anything. So what did you say to him on the first day of set? He said, Jackie Chan, you're nothing. You're a fucking disgusting dog. You're nothing to me. Gee whiz, how did he respond to that? took direction like an absolute champion i can't say enough good things about jackie chan not at the time obviously i was trying to denigrate his ego to the point where he would um act in sort of a hunched uh downtrodden fashion so that he was really embodying the character but he gets this tuxedo you see which is um a high-tech suit which allows him to fight like a martial arts master quite a genius storyline but jackie chan doesn't need that suit no but this is what i'm saying the film was about Jackie Chan going suit shopping. What? What? I mean, it wasn't about Jackie Chan. Jackie Chan was in the film as an actor portraying a role. Jackie Chan was playing the role of an actor in the film who was going sh- shopping for a suit. Jackie Chan was playing a role in real life of actor, which we put in the film atop a layer, which was average man, every man. If you see what I'm I saying. think that's where I'm getting lost is that okay. Jackie Chan so is not Jackie your Chan. average person. So we've got Jackie Chan and he's a talented actor in the And a martial arts superstar. Real physical flat plane that we all dwell on called Earth. Okay. We take that. He is also an actor, so he's executing those skills on a film set to embody the character. You with me so far? Now you look lost, Bob. You look like that's the point where I've lost you. So you got him on set. We've got him on set. And you told him not to do any martial arts. And his faculties as an actor, we said, the character you are embodying at the start of this film is a a nobody. What is the point of getting Jackie Chan on set if you're not going to use his fantastic ability to perform martial arts? Because the suit wasn't real, Bob, is what I'm trying to explain to you. He doesn't need a suit. No, you don't need a suit. I mean, what you're bringing up is more the problem that we solved by virtue of the production rather than the plot of the film that we made, if you can see the distinction between the two. I'm finding all of this deeply confusing, and if we could, I'd quite like to get back to discussing. I'm I'm actually going to stop you there because I wouldn't be comfortable moving on until we get to the bottom of this. Jackie Chan, talented at martial arts, talented at acting. We hire him. We hire him for the film. Congratulations. Great get. 
we instruct him to use his acting skills to pretend to be a everybody type character for his role this is this is the mistake for me Jackie Chan have you seen Rush Hour what do you think acting is in your own words that's not important have you seen Rush Hour fantastic movie Jackie Chan is doing martial arts pretty much through the entire film for sure it's why it was so popular. But do you know what he does as well? He does comedy in some bits. He's a multifaceted performer. Yeah, he's a funny guy. Yeah, absolutely. He's also very good at acting. So what we told him to do is act as if he was someone who couldn't do martial arts. Are, are you sort of on board now? Well, I, that would be a huge challenge for Jackie Chan. And it absolutely was, but he's a good enough actor that he could pull it off. So he, he was acting like he couldn't do them, even so though in the, in the back of his head the whole time, that's right. he knew that's right. he could do. We all knew. He knew. We Everyone knew. on set knew. Everybody knew who And Jackie you were Chan all was. acting like he couldn't do it. That we even all... though the very reason you were all on set was because he was so good at that thing. Well, that's right, because that got revealed later in the production when he picked on the suit, which was the tuxedo, which in the world of the film, yeah... Yeah, it gave him the ability to do martial arts. But it didn't actually make a difference because he could have done them the whole time anyway. Well, that's not that movie that we were making. He's done a lot of movies where that's the movie. We made a, a different movie where it was the suit that allowed him to Can't fight Can't imagine like it that. did very well. Well, you're right there, actually. Uh, something of a flop, both critically and commercially. But we did get to see a little bit more of Jennifer Love Hewitt on a big screen, and that's always a good day for me. Wasn't she a treat? wonder what she's doing now. She's probably wandering the flat earth. So this is purportedly uh, the climax of the film and probably the funniest... Now, why have you got to throw the adjective purportedly in there? Uh, Well, because you'd get the feeling because of the way the pacing works and the storytelling works that we are looking at wrapping up. Mm. But we are yet to make it two-thirds of the way through the runtime of this uh, experience and this was my favorite gag on set um instead of counting down from 10 or 5 or even 3 as you often would before the launch of a product which we, in this case is John Voigt's character's children's show network which is going to broadcast into the TV right. homes of it's everyone and mind control future yep. generations and pretty much run planet earth mm. He counts down from 60. And we see a lot of it in the film. We left well, it in. It was a strong joke. We thought, leave yeah. it all in. Just a little bit more filler for us. We need to pad out to get to that 70-minute mark anyway, so why not? Why not put a bit more Voidy Boy in there? And so we did. Uh, this was, uh, unfortunately, where we lost the second of the triplets playing Kahuna. Um, so... Ambitious on our behalf? Absolutely. I, I, I won't shy away from that accusation. It was ambitious for us to put a child under 10 in control of a craft we built ourselves, which resembles a small helicopter. He's flying above this outdoor shot. There was a lot of rigging involved, um, a lot of power lines for him to avoid. And on the whole, the kid did a great job. But unfortunately, it only takes you being wrong once when you're eight years old and in control of a helicopter um, to uh, unfortunately prematurely yeah. end your life. We tried to get him lessons to ensure that he would be more confident and comfortable flying the chopper, but they said we, we cannot teach anyone under the age of 18 how to fly one of these things. And we said, well, I feel like that's going to you know create more problems than it will solve because we're going to get this kid up in the sky either way. And they said, I, I, we would really recommend not doing that. And we said, well, give him some lessons then and uh, we could sidestep this whole problem. But 
we came to a real impasse at that point, didn't we? Because they wouldn't accept the responsibility of teaching an eight-year-old. We wouldn't accept I, the I mean, notion. We, we're not going to cheat we're any aspect of this film. Our artistic vision, um, because of some child labour laws or aero, aeronautics, you know, legislation. It's the goddamn FCC, is what it is. Oh, it's bureaucracy. It's isn't all it? of them. And that's one of the few things I enjoy about my life in limbo is the lack of paperwork. Got a few more cops uh, in this particular sequence. Chasing that sweet, sweet blue dollar. Love that blue dollar. The blue greenback, they call it. Call it the blue back. A little bit more Scott Bayo as well, who um, really the more of him that you can get in a film, the worse off you're going to be. Someone graphed this out for me recently whereby they got Scott Bayo's uh, film career and they've plotted on the x-axis how much money the film's made and upon the y-axis how much time Scott Bayo is visible on screen for and there is an inverse relationship to his screen time and the profitability of the film wow uh, to put it another way the more Scott Bayo you put in your film the less money your movie's going to make you insisted we needed Bayo I did you said it's Bayo or broke and I think in terms of the political conversations and dynamic on set that was a great decision oh to be fair to me though as well uh i i got slightly mistaken because i thought after watching american psycho that that was scott bayo whereas it was christian bale Bale, yeah Yeah. and christian bale of course uh we couldn't get him anyway because he went to prison after that film uh for a long time uh he committed several gruesome murders well, again, on screen, and it just it pains me that we have to keep doing this dance of explaining after the courts wrongly convicted the guy for something that happened in a movie. It's really, I mean, it's not a million miles away from the Jackie Chan thing. It's just a, it's a misunderstanding that really got blown out of hand. He didn't actually kill anyone. Um, it was a film that we made, which was make believe. It was made up. It was a piece of art. Why would I watch something that's made up? Well, why create something that was made up? I mean, we worked extensively on this film for the three weeks it was in production for, Bob. Well, you came to me and you said, I've got a, I've got a great story. This thing happened the other day. And I said, well, fantastic. Let's make a movie. You know, I forget that every now and then, the autobiographical nature of Baby Geniuses 2 Super Babies, um, because... That's how good the marketing team were in convincing me that this was actually a uh, a penned family romp by some people who weren't myself. I also think the hatchet job that the uh, the studio did on the edit means that a lot of the more true to life elements of the story have been lost or yeah. Let me give down. you seven examples of things. I that would love that happened in the real version of events, which was my life and didn't make it into the film. Rosetta, who's uh, the child that becomes Cupid Girl. Um, in the original version of this your life yeah that's right that's correct in real life um, she lived on the border in Texas okay and her family ran a very successful um, but small franchise of restaurants and they had a secret ingredient uh and it's crazy that this didn't make the film because it was it's quite a it's quite compelling when I found out about it. The secret ingredient that they were putting into their meals, which um, kept people coming back and raving about it, 
Uh, the actual fact was wild feral dogs. And what they were doing is rounding them up because no one was missing them and they were at no cost, killing them, draining them of their blood, dehydrating them, crushing their bones into a powder, and then inserting that into a special type of mayonnaise that they created. And they started putting the mayonnaise on, on everything, things that wouldn't even normally have mayonnaise. You know, prawn tacos? W- would you naturally put mayonnaise on that? No, you wouldn't. Mayonnaise special. Uh, the name of the restaurants was Dead Dog, and everyone thought that it was just sort of a you know a nice little logo and a uh, bit of alliteration. Yeah, exactly, and just sort of like a, a bit of a dangerous. Vibe mayonnaise to the is traditionally an egg-based sort of condiment. Yeah, that's right. So you put the the um, powdered dog stuffs into that, like a flavouring. So you're losing a lot of good meat if you crush it down to a powder. Mate, I didn't make the restaurants. I didn't invent the special ingredient. I didn't create the mayo. The second thing that didn't quite make it from my life onto onto the um, the film version was um, John Voight, who actually enacted all of the things we see on screen in real life and my version of events as well, um, had an uncontrollable sneezing episode for one week of his life and uh, blew his nose clean off one day. It was the sickest thing I've ever seen in my life it's quite gruesome yeah loosened it up over several days and then pulled out a tissue went to wipe his nose and his whole nose came off he's been wearing a prosthetic ever since could have fooled me can I say that I wish you would well he could have uh, he has fooled me the third thing is that there was actually um, five of the triplets quintuplets not three that is sad hmm Remember everyone at this point in the film that there was just one left and uh, we were very nervous. Um, I mean, because some pretty risky high wire stunts still to come and we were like, if if this kid doesn't execute his job... Uh, we can't execute ours. We're out of spares. There's no spare tyres in the boot now. That's right. And we've that's what we'd call on. them on set. And to their parents. We'd say, have you got any more spares? We've got quite a risky day coming up. Could you... Pop out a few more spares and send them our way. (laughs) The fourth thing that happened in my life which didn't make it to film is I live in a particular part of the country that doesn't have any cops, so that wasn't true to form. Um, I grew up in a part of Detroit which uh, cops didn't visit when I was growing up. So we added those in just to try and attract that blue-green back. Those dollars from the cops coming in. Uh, And at number five, ladies and gentlemen, of events that happened in my real-life true events, which this film was based on that didn't make it into the movie version, i got three words for you. Giant robotic spiders. They were everywhere. We only included one in the finished cut of the film. On screen right now. One you can see now, which is imprisoning um, the the final spare tire we've got left, Kahuna. But in the real life events, that was the bigger enemy than John Voight, truth be told, was these uh, giant robotic spiders. Truly? Yes. Wow. You ever met a giant robotic spider? No. If you ever do, the way to confuse them is riddles. They cannot handle them. They've got eight eyes, eight legs, but a tiny brain. Some Somehow smart enough to understand the problem-solving nature of a riddle, but not smart enough to solve any of the problems. Yes. Half uh, correct. What half of it was wrong? You see what I've done there? I've given you a riddle to test if you're a robotic spider. I'm 
visibly not. I'm well, of course, you haven't blown a up. A white apparition. Exploded. I'm a ghost. You don't have steam coming out of your ears, Bob. Fine. No, we've worked together multiple times so before. Asked and answered. I've the always piece of the puzzle that didn't quite make it onto the dining room table. Vanessa Angel in my real life story, true events version of what happened was trapped inside of the role that she um, uh, sort of first enacted in Weird Science, whereby she was created by two teenage boys hopped up on Mountain Dew and their own hormones who accidentally created a computerized genie in real life. And she was still living in that role. She is an actress. This is like the Jackie Chan thing. I don't know if you're going to be able to follow it. But in her own head, she was still a computer-generated can, genie. Can I haven't seen Weird Science. Mm. Once uh, the teenage boys, because I love nothing more than just, you know, some sort of media which will help teenage boys chub up. Mm. Well, Once they got uh, their robot off the ground of the perfect woman. What's well, a genie? The genie off the mm. ground. I mean, were they hoping to engage with the genie sexually or was the genie more enabling them to live their best life? The former, without question. Did they ever get to Bones the genie? From memory, no. Sounds like a shit show. Not wrong. The seventh and final piece which didn't what make What about it, in the movie? I believe there may have been a suggestion before the end credits started to roll that one of them maybe was going to get to perform physical intimacy with the digital representation of the perfect woman? It sounds very, very confusing to me. Well, it raises a lot of questions if you think about it too hard, and that's why we ask audiences not to do that. <laughs> um, so really, the, the only other piece... Um, that didn't make it into the film is Scott Bayo's dad, the judge, uh, played an incredible role in the real-life events of what was happening. There was a lot of law happening at the time. Um, people were suing me. There were no cops, so we didn't quite have a law enforcement arm, but we did have a judiciary where people would just strong-arm people and throw them into a court in front of Judge Bayo and ask him to perform his duties. To be honest, it was a bloody nightmare because these vigilante groups were just rounding up people they didn't like, throwing them into a big court building and uh, presenting them to the presiding judge, Judge Bayo. Say boom, uh, boom, boom. Put in front of Judge Bayo. Bayo. And he didn't really... I mean, he didn't know what laws he was supposed to be weighing them against, um, what potential infractions had happened, and the whole thing just became a bit much. Sorry, I think I'm getting a call there. Do you want to just pick, it, just I'll see who that, that is? Gladly. You take that. Hello, Bob speaking. Good, thank you. Just taking a little uh, call that's come through uh, to the voice booth, which is always confusing. I am okay. I don't need my room service today, thank no, you. No, no room service in the booth. Thank you. So strange. Second time they've asked today. Really think I threw them uh, last night by asking for some additional bedding to accommodate a friend to... Um, You're sleeping in the studio? I'm sleeping in the booth. Not only that, but I'm inviting people to come and sleep in the booth as well. The um, You could end it all and come join me in limbo. I absolutely won't be doing that. Um, I, I just... You know that saying, you never want to meet your heroes? I mean, I've I've loved Gene Wilder since forever, so it would it'd just be a bit much. For you me. worked with Gene Wilder. I know. 
and it was a lot then and I don't think I could take another second of being in his presence but let me you tell you like about him? this receptionist at the building that we're in, in the uh, for the voice booth I went down there last <laughs> night when I was um, with my house guest who was going to crash here in the booth for the night because he's been sleeping rough um, when I approached the front desk uh the gentleman at reception, because it's a 24-hour staff facility here at Voices RS, he was facing the computer back to me and making the most bizarre animalistic <laughs> noises. Really scary stuff. And so I sort of gave it <clears throat> to alert him to my presence, and he was shocked that someone was there just after midnight, uh, started talking to me, and then really struggled to grapple with the concept of what I was asking with a very thick Soviet accent. What were you asking? I was simply asking for the availability of sheets. That was it. That was literally it. I was just trying to fight, and not even necessarily demanding sheets, but just how difficult would it be uh, for myself to obtain sheets right now? And he couldn't quite get the idea that I didn't want sheets tomorrow, but in fact required some sheets at that moment. And it was back and forth for several minutes trying to get How to the did it of resolve that. itself? Um, I left confused as to where we had got to in the conversation. And then 15 minutes later, when I had gone to bed and my house guests, it, we had sort of improvised the solution, a knock at the door, uh, answered by myself, and he, he had some sheets. The same guy. Yeah. I didn't know what was going to happen. <laughs> he was terrifying. <laughs> so we're building quite nicely now uh, towards the resolution of all of the problems we've introduced in the movie. Um, if you want to call them problems, <laughs> which I think... You can if you want. John Voigt has found the hidden layer of Kahuna, his brother, who looks like a seven-year-old. I'll just remind you of where we're up to. Um, now... What's happened in the background while we've... Sorry, we got a little bit sidetracked talking about Certainly Jackie Chan did. and Scott Bayo's father for a moment there. Um, a Judge Bayo. Bayo. Two black panel vans came into the scene, freaked out the female teenager who's in the film, Tracy Starlet. or whatever. Skyler. She, she had the, 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 you know, she was in control of the babies at the time in a big quad stroller got freaked out went into the woods kahuna took all of them under his wing and they all buggered off to his lair of course the parents of those babies got a bit freaked out so they rang back home and impersonated a police officer and said that they'd accidentally gotten on a bus and sent them to san francisco buying them some time overnight to concoct a plan to take down john voigt's character before he can reinitiate um his wounded network of Do you know the satellites. real triumph of the plot of this film is I'm simultaneously bored and confused <laughs> I'm so sure I remember a dramatic tale of friendship mm-hmm. set within a prison underneath the hostile watch of a purportedly Christian warden I mean this is just so different from the film I remember directing <laughs> Who do you remember being in this picture? Tim Robbins. Yeah, okay. I think I know what's happened here. Have you heard of a film called Shawshank Redemption? No. Right. All right, well, I'm back to square one. I'm not quite sure. What's that you arrived at this. Sorry, it's, it's very similar to the Is one that you're describing. Is it a Jackie describing. Chan film? He's not in that picture, no. That's a shame. 
I love Jackie Chan. Who doesn't, really? If you don't have Jackie Chan, you don't have a heart. And if you don't like John Voight, you don't have a brain, as I've always said about cinemaphiles. So we're bringing all of the constituent parts, all the different characters, all the different groups, we bring them into one location now so that we can get to our all is lost moment. We can really ramp up the stakes on everything. Everyone has discovered Kahuna's lair. The parents have come on board. The villains have entered into the Hollywood Hills hidden bunker. The children have got themselves into that machine and enacted their best selves. They are all chasing their bliss and transform momentarily, but just enough time, into superhero versions of themselves so that we can get away with getting that sweet, sweet merchandise deal with Mattel off the ground. This is a free-for-all. There's a lot of violence. There's a lot of punches being thrown. Um, there's a DVD sailing through the air for three minutes continuously while the villains now try and that has it. dated the film something chronic. Yeah, it wasn't our finest moment that, and we should have seen the writing on the wall. It was two thousand four. You know, it was already physical media. You could tell was um, going to be on the way out. From memory, we weren't constructing a film that needed to stand the test of time. Slightly more disposable piece of cinema is what I was uh, trying to create. I'm not sure how you felt about it, Bob, at the time. Um, it was hard to say, really. I mean, I'm still just shell-shocked by what I'm watching. Do you... I thought we were going to win an Academy Award. For this? Well, or are you more in your head got the picture of the prison film that you thought you were making at the time? Yeah. That might be, well, yeah, certainly there's a, a huge chasm between the film I thought I made and the film it turns out that we made together. Mm. And that's okay. That's fine. I mean, I've, I've made my peace with it. I'm happy in limbo. Uh, and it's been a joy to revisit elements of this. I do feel the storytelling style is muddled, the tone confused um yeah a film i watched recently uh oh what was it called um shoot about a post-apocalyptic los angeles i think you've seen it recently as well southland tales is a movie that i saw recently and i'll tell you what i was pretty baffled in that and i'm not quite sure if we've got um to those heights in the film that we created ourselves but it's not far off and it's more in Southland Towers, what I was struggling with as I was watching that, just purely as a viewer, was kind of following the plot, trying to get to grips with the world we were living in. In the film that we have created, in, in the you know cold, hard light of watching it over a decade later, had enough distance from it, had a bit of oxygen, it's more of a tonal confusion. Why do we keep referencing a very dark part of recent history, East Germany, the Stasi. Why did we insist on John Voigt to embody oh, the role of a Nazi scientist? Questions, questions, Why questions. were we doing that encased in a very colourful and bright family film while simultaneously trying to service teenage boners for kids all across America? Something for everyone. You keep saying it as if that solves the problems we're talking about. I mean, I'm... I just can't help but feel that in this cinema gumbo we've created, we're not serving anyone. You know what I mean? You, you, you can't put mayo on absolutely everything. And believe it or not, you can't put ground-up, dehydrated, dead dogs on everything either. 
there are some dishes that won't be served by it. We and took, I, I feel like this is this is us putting mayo on an ice cream. Some people like that. We took ten people's favorite ingredients and put them in one pot. We weren't to know that that's not how you make a five star meal. It's not how you make anything. Well, no, I guess not. And that's news to me, and it's upsetting to me. And it also helps potentially explain why my time as a chef. <laughs> is this in limbo, or is this while you were... This was uh, during us? university, yeah. Right. Short-lived, or did you sort of give it a good proper... I gave it a pretty good knock. Yeah? Uh, but yeah, I mean, the, the restaurant I was running was closed down pretty quickly. Did you ever meet Gordon Ramsay? Yeah, I spent a lot of time with Gordon. Did you train under Gordon or sort of come up alongside him? You guys uh, are similar More age. adjacent. Sure. Sort of next to. I see. Did he know you were there? Not a lot of the time. Okay. At what part of his career were you sort of uh, around him? Uh, when he was, I think we would have been both been about 18, 19. Mm. So it was the part of uh, his career where he was just chubbed up and I couldn't have been happier. Uh, so... What part of him were you sort of watching most closely while you His were... His chub. I used to stir a minestrone once, burn the end off. Got in a lot of trouble, wasn't allowed you to cook burned, again. You been burned the end off of beloved chef and professional swearer Gordon Ramsay. His chub. You burned his chub off. Just a bit of Just it. Just a tip. An inch. Just out of curiosity, and I shouldn't ask. He how, wasn't swearing much before then. How many inches are left after he lost the one? Look, I wouldn't want to. Good healthy. A, I wouldn't want to put a number on it, but, but nine. Wow, I the knew man it. has got a monster cock. Because <laughs> I, I, I burned the end off, and then it just went flat. You mean at the end? So I burned the end of his chub off. Yeah, he's got a flat top now. A flat top penis. Yeah, and he got a tattoo of a monster's face on the flat top. Amazing. See, now, if that's not getting lemons and making lemonade, I don't know what is. Couldn't have happened to a nicer man. Isn't that the truth? Oh, sweet relief. I feel like we're finally arriving uh, near the conclusion of this film. Now, actually, um, I, you know, would be remiss if we didn't mention that we fought tooth and nail to retain this ending of the movie. Um, we wanted to insert a moral about kids getting outside and not watching television or movies anymore. And uh, the studio were, understandably, somewhat furious about this because they said, it's not in our best interest as a company to tell people to stop buying our product using the medium of the product itself if you see what I'm saying. You shouldn't tell in a kid's movie kids to stop seeing kids' movies. And we said, no, we think we know what we're doing here. Who got John Voight on board in a kid's film to be a Nazi scientist? Was it you or was it us? It was us, that's right. Thank you for reminding me. I think we've got it from here. The other thing we said is this isn't a kid's movie. This is a movie for everyone. I'm familiar with pleasing a lot of people at one time. Been to a lot of orgies. I've cooked a lot of meals. Ever heard of the chef Gordon Ramsay? I'm lucky enough to consider him a close, personal, restraining order. And, yeah, look, I mean, I'm still just shell-shocked that this is 
I could have sworn. I could have absolutely. Do you think it's the presence of police officers that's made you think? I just thought Bob Gunton was in this movie. Right. Who else did you think was in this movie? Baby Genius's two super babies. William Sadler. Can I also ask a question of you, Clancy Bob? Brown. Bob, how did we arrive? Gil Bellows. How did we arrive on the format of the title for this film, which is first the title Super Babies, and then the subtitle is Baby Genius's two. In my experience as a filmmaker, you generally want to lead with the franchise name and then tell them what number that you're up to in the franchise and then wow. go with the subtitle after that. The For example, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Secret of the Ooze. You the, see what I'm saying? The director of Baby Geniuses, who was me, Bob Clark, would not sign off on this uh, being part of the franchise, would not sign off on this being canon. Right. In spite I just of him making both films me. and him being you. Yeah, well, I just thought that they were two different of movies. I mean, one, you know, about baby geniuses, yeah. uh, you know, baby's ability to communicate and talk and some scientists trying to figuring out, you know, what to do with that information. Yep. And then this, a movie about a man wrongfully imprisoned and his quest for freedom. Uh, they are quite different artistic <laughs> visions. To try and um, wrap into a single franchise. And with that in mind, it makes a lot more sense as to how we've um, landed on the titling format that we've we've got. Doesn't it just? We're really putting a, a bow on it now, folks. Uh, John Voigt's been defeated. Uh, the Kids Show Network, while we couldn't take down the satellites or the broadcast that was going to go out to brainwash kids, um, the moral that we decided to go with was, do you know how you allow people to have more freedom and free will and democracy... You force it down their fucking throat using a television widecast, okay? Some people are going to quibble with that. They're going to say that's not really how free will works. They're not, they're not going to assume that that's the nature of freedom, that you don't force freedom, you have to allow freedom to happen. No, not when you're dealing with Scotty Bayo and Naughty Voight. Yeah, Naughty Voight. We've got our Voight. own ideas about how we insert freedom into the minds of our citizenry and that is force it down their fucking throat using high tech distribution methods and in spite of all the confusion along the way also those of you still uh, watching the the film uh, as you listen to our director's commentary this scene um, oh this won't make any sense without a little context no exactly so Zach the guy we found and uh, secretly cast in the film was genuinely uh, an orphan who was separated from his mother at birth. We hired an actor to pretend to be his mother for how long it took to shoot this scene, which was about one minute. And we then took I her away from him. And can't tell you how much I regret that decision that you made entirely and I had nothing to do with. I Even I was wrought with guilt. How do you feel right now uh, after making the decision to do that? Well... I wouldn't say I feel regretful because I actually sort of feel vindicated in seeing it. Uh, bold. A bold assessment of the choices that you've made well, as an artist. it was a bold film from woe to go, wasn't it? It sure was. And it's the more upsettingly still, uh, as soon as we took the camera off that, we, I shouted out, that's a wrap at roughly this point, and so a third of our kahunas it's a, it's immediately a, it's a, flew into some treetops. Oh, God. 
So we've got our final kahuna, the last spare tire left, um, going off into the sunset in his helicopter craft, and he he bit the dust, unfortunately, didn't he? Shortly yeah, thereafter. and so he 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 hit a treetop, fell mm. down. Yeah, and I had to yell out, "That's a wrap!" twice. So the this screening of uh, Baby Geniuses Two is dedicated to the memory of Jerry, Leo, and Miles Fitzgerald. R.I.P. And your own, uh, might I add, Bob? You did a great job, and I'm sorry that you're gone. It's okay. Taken before your time. If it's all right with you, I'm going to leave. O Town was the name of that band. Immediately, <laughs> just so we're all on the same page, Bob. I'm sure you've got places to be. Um, I'm sure you want to get back to hanging yeah, out huge with huge backlog of comic talent and limbo. Um, I've got my future projects to work on. Well, um, good luck. Do you, do, just I'll let you know the next one's actually going to be part of this okay. franchise as well. Marvelous. What's it called? Uh, it's called Baby Geniuses Three: Colon Wrath of Kahuna, and it's a sitcom, come sci-fi, action, comedy, family, coming of age, Hong Kong martial arts avant-garde foreign film sounds like a lot of genres it sounds like a bit of me i cannot wait to see it thanks for joining us everyone for this audio commentary of super babies baby geniuses too my name is steven steven paul and my name is the ghost of bob clark good night Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.